This is an AMI podcast. Hey, welcome along to episode number 21 of Double Tap for Tuesday, 27th of September, 2022. It's another big show today. We're joined by a very special guest. We're going to talk about the Orbit Writer and the Hable One and using an Apple Watch and an Android phone. Really? You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Yeah, no Sean Priest today, unfortunately, just little old me. Sorry about that. Yes, it is me, Stephen Scott, here with you today. Hope you're all well. Uh, thank you so much for joining. I do have a special guest with me, though, uh, sitting in that uh, spare co-hosting chair for the next hour is Aaron Hewitt, who joins us for the first time here on Double Tap. Hey, Aaron, how are you? Hello, hello, Stephen. Good afternoon. And good afternoon, good morning, good day. Because, well. look, you could be listening to this at any oh, yeah. time of the day or night, couldn't you? I mean, let's be honest, with podcasts oh, and radio, we're on all the time. That's podcast is for, isn't it? I'm on, the, I'm on the audio channel at AMI, so, you know, we could, you could be listening to us at 12 noon, you could be listening to us at 8 p.m. Eastern, you could be listening to us at 4 a.m. Eastern. I know a lot of people who do, I shouldn't shout, actually, if you're listening at 4 a.m., shh, go back to bed. Go back to sleep. Everything's fine. Everyone should be asleep at that time. Get up, get up out your beds, get up out your beds. I love doing that, (laughs) just wake everyone back up. Um, So Aaron, first off, thank you for coming on to the show and uh, filling in Sean Priest's, uh, I would would say, sizable position in that chair. Um, Are you calling Sean fat? That's not not, very appropriate, I would never, ever say that. but yes. Um, so, yeah, listen, we've got you here. Is that because... why the shed feels so small? <laughs> You're not in a shed. You're in a house. No, I'm in a house. I'm You're not in an a actual shed. I don't building. Have a shed. Proper building. Um, yeah, so I listen, we shed, wanted. Though. Yeah, exactly. Well, we wanted you on today because, Aaron, you are a guy who really does garner a lot of interest online. And if I'm honest, I'll be, I'm going to be honest, Aaron. You're the kind of guy who every time I read about online, you just you seem to be able to find solutions to problems that either no one else has thought of <laughs> or, or they you know, don't exist <laughs> or they don't exist or they just don't make any sense so like i said in the intro right we're going to talk about the apple watch on an android phone which a lot of people might think is that even a thing um but yes it is you've done it and we're going to talk about that uh, but Braille's another area for you that's of interest and certainly an area you like to talk about i know it's something that's that's dear to your heart um Talk me through uh, your your relationship with Braille because look, you're a very techie guy, and you know I think a lot of people tend to think, Aaron, that when it comes to Braille, it's a bit of an old fashioned tech. You know, it's something that not a lot of people who are, especially younger people like yourself, would want to use. What's your take on that? Well, I really disagree with that. Um, generally, I disagree with that. I think Braille is really useful for anyone who you know is required to read any any amount of of um information in their day-to-day lives so you know i mean the the whole thing of even just using it to read labels and stuff like that is incredibly important but then when you come into some of the more technical aspects like for example programming which is what i do or you know development of anything i think it's just braille allows you to understand what you're writing much more quickly than, for example, using a screen reader to go by character through a through a text document does. And it also enables when you're in an office environment, you're often the the one person sat with headphones on all the time because you're listening to your screen reader or something along those lines. Where most people they just wear the headphones when they're in a call. And so you lose that social aspect of the work environment when you don't use Braille, I find. That is really Really interesting you say that because that was the first thing I found when I started using JAWS in 2017, 2018 fully. I mean, no I one had talks been... to you. Everyone just avoids you. It's exactly. Like, it's like you suddenly smell bad and they're just like wide berthing you because they think you're preoccupied. But actually, it's kind of the other way around too, right? It's kind of like we ignore them. I, I used to spend so much time going, hang on a minute, hang on, hang on, hang on, because, you know, JAWS would be talking in my ear and I had to find the control button to shut it up. And I'd be like, hang on, hang on, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, you'd be kind of, and you'd almost feel like you were being ignorant. Um, and, you know, why is it that I everybody wants that to talk to, to you when you've got a screen reader on? Everybody wants to talk to you. As soon as this thing starts talking, that's when they want to talk to you. 
I found that too. It's really inconvenient. Like, I've been sat here for the last 20 minutes trying to think of something, and now I've started pressing buttons, you come over. I've just started typing. I've write, I'm starting to write my memoirs, and now you want to talk to me. Um, Aaron, talk a little bit about what you do uh, as a day-to-day, because, you know, you're a bit of a, an elusive figure. Um, so what is it you do? What's your sort of day-to-day role? So I'm a, a digital engineer for an, engi- for an engineering company. Um, we work in the nuclear industry, um, and we, you know, we we develop uh, solutions for for clients with whatever they need. Realist- realistically, we um, do some things involving deconstruction. We do engineering new builds. We do, um, you know, anything that that the client needs that um, we feel is is appropriate. Has uh, Vladimir Putin been in touch? I'm not at liberty to disclose <laughs> what clients we have, but no. Yeah, it's just when we, as soon as you mention the word nuclear, especially right now, everyone just starts diving under tables, everyone right? Goes, oh my exactly. That, that's currently the okay. The I have general to, media I have to climate. ask you this. I've got to ask you this. So you know, surely in your life, people must be saying, "Hang on, you're blind and you work in nuclear." Um, you know, we always make the joke about blind people not being bus drivers, or airline pilots. Letting you anywhere near a nuclear reactor, isn't that wise? Um, well <laughs> apparently the company also don't think so because I don't go onto the I don't go onto the sites, thankfully. We, okay. we have the robots for that. <laughs> no. My job is just to make other people's jobs on the sites easier. <laughs> okay. All right, that's good. I think we can all rest easy in our beds tonight. Everyone can calm down. Those people who are listening at four AM are Sorry, absolutely I think, I think terrified. I think I have to go in. No, I'm joking. Yeah, that's right. You have to go in right now. If you leave instantly <laughs> during this show, we're all going to start panicking. Um, but okay, that's that's fascinating. Actually, I mean, we could, we could talk for an hour just on that. That's really interesting. But let's get back to Braille. So you know, obviously, in in the day to day, we use Braille. I mean, when did, did you learn Braille as a kid, or did you learn this later in life? How's how's it been for you? No, I've always learned Braille. Um, my very first memories of Braille actually are when I was maybe about three or four. Um, and we had that big, oh, what was it called? You know, that tactile paper that you would draw an ink and then put it through a machine and it would, it would raise the, I'm trying um, to remember the name of that. Yeah. But I know exactly what you mean. It had that really weird smell to it as well when it came out of the machine. Yeah. It was almost like a drug. It was so weird. (laughs) It was so strange, but yeah. And it would like bubble up if you ever did it. Um, my, uh, TV, I prepared, braille cards with that because we didn't have a braille writer at the time prepared cards with that and all the obviously all the dots were huge because you had to draw the circles and then shade them in and everything um so they were they were really big and they had the letters a to j on them and i had to order them uh, as fast as possible and that was how i learned the first part of the braille alphabet because i worked out very quickly um even as a child because originally they tried to teach me the entire alphabet and i was like well hang on a minute it goes from a to j and then it goes back to the normal but you add a dot three on it and then you add a, I forget the other dot after that. And then you add another dot to it. And then this and the other. And it just resets after J mm. every time. So, like, what's the point in learning the rest of it if I already can figure that out from the progression of the first lot? But, you know, it's interesting because as a, as a child, you will learn things so much more quickly. And, you know, things do so up. You know, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I've been learning Braille now for a couple of years, just, just on off in some ways. And just like you said, for labeling, for, you know, for things around the home, I found it really useful. But I think it, that's one of the most important uses right now. Yeah. Realistically, I think just just for those everyday things that would just be annoying to get your phone out to check. Mm. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, you that's know, right. You don't want to you don't want to get your phone out and check through an entire cabinet of tablets when you've got a pounding headache and you just need something to make it go away. You just want to find. You know, you just want to take the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't want something talking in your ear trying to do that because that would just make it all ten times worse. So. You're using Braille for for many different things, I guess. Uh, you know, but I yep. guess the, the the printed Braille is something you don't, or embossed Braille as it is, that's something you probably don't use so much, right? No, I don't. Though I am really excited by the idea of multi line Braille displays. That would change my life. Um, but the idea of actually embossing Braille is not something I've done in in quite a while. Um, I was quite early onto the adoption of the Braille notes when they came out. Uh, my first was an Empower, and then I. Uh, had an apex and then i moved to braille displays with computers but you know i've always had a i've always had a you know i never liked printed braille i always thought everything that was printed in it was 
far too big, far too cumbersome to carry around. Uh, and when you're in school, you know, you have these big textbooks and brailing all of those up made them huge. And it was just, it was inconvenient. So I always stuck to computed Braille. Yeah, you see, turn, turn to volume 21. You're like, oh, hang on, bring in the yeah, trolley. Oh. Ch- turn to page 215, right? Which volume was that in? Yeah. Well, that, and what that page was, a was it actually? I actually had a friend at school who actually had a trolley that would follow him everywhere he went. I mean, it wasn't an automated one, sadly, <laughs> but it was a person was pushing it, uh, old school. And, um, you know, they would have this trolley that would have to be taken into class. And should he need to go from, you know, one volume to the next, he would have to get someone to, you know, fish out the book from the trolley and bring it to him. And it was utterly unwieldy as anything. And of course, technology's changed a lot of that. So you can now fit, you know, a library inside an SD card and then put that onto your Braille display and read that as much as you want. And I guess that's what's changed, right? And you've probably, you're a lot younger than me. How old are you? I'm 20. You're 20, right? So you're half the age of me. Yeah. And so I, I witnessed that changeover. Yeah, but I was going to actually... say, you still have seen it because Braille has Braille only evolved really in the last 10, 15 years, I would say, onto the technical. I mean, I know, I know it's been around for a long time. The technology's been around, but it's become more available I mean, you had to the more thing where you could then. take the bottom off a of Perkins and you could put it on a board and then it would print out, you know. Yes, I forget what right. that was called, but that was a thing. God, I'm, yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm aging myself just by talking about it. <laughs> but it is a very old technology. And, you know, the, the Perkins Brailler, is still used today. I mean, I still use it for a lot of my stuff because it's the easiest. I still have way. one. Yeah, it's the easiest way to get one. real on in, paper. In the cases where, yeah, it is. There's no easier way. I mean, yeah, okay, you can emboss, you can emboss braille, but oh, have you seen how complicated and annoying they are to use? Um, I've got, I got, I've got I, an I index just recently. I've got an index Everest in the cupboard, um, embosser, and I brought it out to use it, and it just it was so confusing to me. And I just thought, I can't deal with this. And I just went back to my Perkins and I could just batter out my notes there. Yeah, I, I do that so frequently. Um, especially when, when giving a presentation or whatever. I won't bother pre- you know, trying to emboss my PowerPoint so I can read it. I'll just go and make separate notes on a Perkins. Yeah, absolutely. It's but, just easier. But of course, one of the changes... That's the very... Yeah, but one of the changes we've seen recently, which I, I want to get to with you because I think this is really interesting is the change, uh, because iPhones and smartphones, not not exclusively iPhones, obviously Android as well, but any smartphone, frankly, now, um, you're able to use a Braille display with, and that's brilliant. But some companies have gone further than that, and they've actually created keyboards, which can be created at much lower cost because you don't have the Braille display. You're using the audio output, but you're able to put the the uh, input of Braille in using that Perkins-style keyboard, or in one particular case, a slightly... A different design. So we're going to talk today about two of these devices. One is called the Orbit Writer from the Orbit Company, the Orbit Research Company, and the other is Hable One. Now, regular viewers to Double Tap TV and listeners to me over the years will know about these devices because we've talked about them. But you use these devices. You've played with them. Um, you've you've had time with them. So I just wanted to talk to you about what these devices are. Um, and, and how they're used and where they fit. I think this is the other question, Arna, where they fit into the whole landscape of being able to use Braille on the move. So let's start with what these devices are. How would you describe the Orbit Writer, the Hable One? So I would describe, sorry, I would describe the Orbit Writer as something that you would perhaps use use on a desk, right? You're, you're a fast Braille typist uh, and not so fast on, a, on an on-screen keyboard, for example, but maybe you're... Uh, you know, you don't you don't see the need to read Braille at that particular point, or you need something that you can travel with easily. That you know, you know, you can you can write up some notes on a train, or you can, uh, you know, just utilize to make quick notes or send quick messages, and you don't need that preciseness of Braille reading that you would get with a full Braille display. And perhaps you also don't want the expense of carrying a full Braille display because they're not cheap, are they? You know, even the Orbits, they're not cheap devices no so, <laughs> well this is the point no, right that, that they're not, not cheap. cheap devices and that's this is where you know often and if it all com- you want is the input then yeah. if all you want is the input then something like this is particularly useful exactly and because th- this is the thing right we've talked about real displays a lot on the shows and blind people know that those devices are expensive and it's because of the hardware built inside them to create the display that's where the money is going really but if you can detach that and just have the keyboard, then I guess that's good news. 
It is. Yeah, I think it's a really excellent uh, idea, and I think they executed it really well. The Hayward one is slightly different. That is very much set to be used on the move. They advise you don't put it on a table. They advise you hold it as if you would hold an iPhone when you're, for example, uh, using using Braille screen input for anyone who's used that, where you have your three fingers going down the uh, left side and three fingers going down the right, and that's where the dots are. Um, and then you obviously you have your your function buttons. It's a very small device. Um, about the width, uh, sorry, not the width, the length of a mini iPhone, and actually about the same width too, mm. from when I used it. Um, that is definitely more suited to when you're traveling, for example, because it has a loop that you can put around your wrist and you can just carry it like that. Now, my way of carrying it is is a little bit different. I put it on my cane because I'm a cane user, not a guide dog user. And so I can still hold my cane up and type and have both things secured to my wrist. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to lose either. That's interesting, right? So you've got it connected to the cane. Yeah, I, I loop the cane's elastic through when I, uh, when I unfold it. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Um, yeah, we'll maybe talk about the guide dog versus uh, cane thing later. But yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll hold that one off. I don't know. We'll see what we get to today. But I have I just... another episode about that one. Yeah, I think it might be. But really interesting. It's not really right? a debate for me, though. No? I think they both have their places. No, it's not. I think if you have one, you should also at least investigate the other and know the skills required. That's what I did. Yeah. I don't have a guide dog, but I know I know the basics of, you know, I know the the you know commands and and such that you would give to a guide dog, and I know what the process is like to obtain one. Should I want one? Yeah, and I think also it's important to to say to people as well, those who have guide dogs, um, that it's important to keep up the the cane skill because you never know when the dog yeah. will be ill or Your you dog never know could be sick. Yeah. Um, you know, you could want to travel abroad and sometimes it can be a difficult process to get the license to travel with a guide dog. Yes, it should be easy. I, I think it should be a lot simpler than it is, but it's not, it's never been that way and it never will be that way. It just okay. won't. People, you know, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be paperwork because you are bringing a, an animal that has not been in that country into that country. And there's, there's a whole bunch of, of reasons that they make that. Yeah, Slightly but like you say, that that's a whole other conversation. Like, let's get back to the braille yes, because sorry, it, no, but this <laughs> is really interesting. It is really interesting. Um, but okay, so out of these two devices, you mentioned that the Hable one, and, and I know because I've tried this myself. It has that unique design of almost like a braille cell in in keyboard form um, that you hold up against your chest and you can type that way, versus the Orbit Writer, which has those Perkins style keys layout. Which is better? Now, this is very subjective, because if you're someone who finds the Braille screen input on an iPhone difficult, or just has issues, you know, you have, you have, you know, you're used to a Perkins-style keyboard, that will be, the Orbit Writer will be the one to go for, because that is a familiar layout. It's all about familiarity, because realistically, it's all about speeding up your smartphone usage, and if you're not familiar with the system that you're about to use then you're not going to notice that efficiency because you're going to be learning something completely new to you. Okay. And so, how, do, how do these stack up in comparison to Braille displays? I mean, you know, I'm thinking about the Orbit Writer, for example. Um, not the Orbit Writer, I beg the part the Orbit Reader, uh, which has the Braille display in it. Um, Hable doesn't have an equivalent Braille display, but how do these stack up in terms of functionality, how they feel to use? Well, the Orbit Writer I found really intriguing because it works exactly like an Orbit display, including down to the connection method, which I'll, I'll describe later on because that's an interesting differentiator between the two devices. The Orbit Writer works exactly like an Orbit display. It has the um, D-pad in the middle. It has the all the dots where you'd expect them to be. It has the... Um, space bar and the, the dots 7 and 8 where you would expect them to be on an orbit display all you don't have is the display you know that that front portion with the the there's two sets of keys either side of the the actual braille cells on an orbit they're like rockers a bit like volume rockers um i think they're for they're for panning the display you don't have those and then you don't have the display so it's it's significantly smaller it's still quite a, a boxy device uh, because of all the, the hardware inside of it. But it does 
just work like an orbit display does, which I think for anyone who's familiar with those is fantastic. And you I mean, mentioned it stacks up. Well, well, maybe it stacks t- up. Surprise. Carry on. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> I think I think we've got a delay here, it's, Aaron. So so carry yeah, on. It's sorry. It stacks up surprisingly well to the displays. It's just as responsive as they are. It's just as fluid. But you don't have that braille output that you might not want. So then you don't have the extra weight and you don't have the extra expense of, of carrying that equipment. Okay. You mentioned connection methods and you mentioned there's a differentiator there. Maybe let's talk about that. So the Orbit writer connects via the braille settings on, on whichever device you use. So it connects via the braille inbuilt braille display in TalkBack now. It can connect via the Braille settings on iOS, and obviously it can connect to any other screen reader that you like, which is an advantage in a way over the Hable, but I'll explain this in a minute. Um, The Hable connects to only iOS and Android, and you set your specific mode when you use it. And that is because the way it connects is as a keyboard, not as a Braille device. And the Braille translation itself is handled by the device, not by the device you're connecting it to. This does mean that when you use the Hable to control your phone, for example, by navigating to the next and previous item, it actually emulates the keyboard commands rather than emulating the Braille commands that the Orbit does. This means that you are limited to connect to only iOS or Android, but it also means that you get instantaneous response, which you don't get with the Orbit, because as, you know, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but when you lock an iPhone or lock an Android device, your Braille display can disconnect and then can't be used to unlock your phone. So then you have to reach into your pocket or your bag or wherever you have your phone to then press the button to then have the device wake and re-establish the connection to the Braille device. The Hable doesn't do that. It stays connected all the time and you can use it to unlock just like you could any other keyboard. Mm. That's good. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. And, you know, it's important to know that. I, I, I do remember we had a conversation on the show with Hable and one of the questions I put to them was, you know, would they ever make this device available for Windows users or Mac users? And one of the comments and responses was, well, you can connect it to those devices, but you can you only can, control you can only type. Yeah, you can only type, exactly. You can't, you can't control the device the way you could, say, with, I'd imagine, the Orbit or the way you might with another Braille display. Yeah. Exactly. That is the slight disadvantage of the Hable. And also the Hable is only single device. So once you've paired to one device, you can't pair to another without Ah, first forgetting the previous one. The Orbit is multi-channel. So you can pair, is it up to four devices? Yes, I think it is. It's up to four devices. So that's more than what you would possibly need at any one time. Now, the slightly incorrect thing that is said here is that you can't control a Mac. You can, kind of. Because it connects like a keyboard, and iOS has the same keyboard commands as a Mac, you can use very basic input commands like next item, previous item, and activate on the Hable when connected to a Mac, but definitely not with Windows. Got you. Okay, yeah, because there's almost that trackpad commander type approach, right, when, on the Mac side, where you're kind of similar to using an iPhone. But of yeah, course, the, the problem same with, with the keyboard. Yeah, but the the problem, yeah, that's right. But the problem with that, of course, is it's kind of limited, right? You're still going to have to need to use the keyboard as well. So you're not really getting full control. Yeah, you're not really getting anything from that. No, it's it's not as it's not as fluid as it is on the phone. But I have done it occasionally when I've when I've needed to type something very quickly on the Mac, and it's been inconvenient to type it on a keyboard. For example, extended Unicode symbols and and the like. It's sometimes just been faster for me to do it that way. And you know, these devices, I mean, they are lower cost than you're going to pay for a display, um, but they are only input. And it's important to say that, right? They are only input. So you're relying on the audio output. And I, I wonder what your take is on that as someone who uses Braille, because there are some people who say that the joy of Braille is that is being able to do, as you were saying, you know, sit there and read, uh, being able to you know, converse with other people in an office, do all that kind of thing. But this still requires you to get the audio feedback from your device. What's your take on that? Now, I, I consider that to be fine. I mean, they, they are very different in what they're for than a Braille display. These are for when you need to write, but you, you know, it perhaps isn't convenient for you to have a display, especially with the Hable when you're walking about, uh, you know, outside in an outdoor environment. Um, 
it's it's convenient to be able to write in braille um and it's convenient to be able to have that level of control where you know for example if you know you're using a touch screen and you're walking your hands can slip you can you can for example you can drop the device or heaven forbid it be stolen from you because you're holding it and also using a, a mobility aid and so you only have one hand and you know you you may not see someone approaching you to to take it which is truthfully what can happen mm. well that's right and, so and yes yeah, so a security issue with all this as well isn't there you know being able to yes there is do things and you know this has been said many times i, I know that sean always says to me i'm i'm foolish for bringing this up but you know, walking around, I mean, we talk about Ira a lot and the idea of walking around with your iPhone just out Walking there. around with your phone out terrifies me. I don't, yeah, I would never do great, that. I don't you know? do it. No. Um, you do I have mean, the Envision glasses, though, don't you? because I'm the most clumsy person. Yeah. I do, yeah. I have those too. <laughs> and I also use those fairly frequently. You're going to be back on so, the show know, my, a lot. <laughs> my, setup, my setup when I go out and about is the Hable and the glasses and about two dozen power banks in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a lot to carry about. Uh, listen, stay right there. We're talking today with uh, Aaron Hewitt. He's joining us uh, today to tell us all about his experiences. We're talking there about Braille. Coming up, we're going to be talking about his experience with the Apple Watch, using it with an Android device, and on top of that, some other cool things as well. We'll maybe get into that conversation around Envision and get your take on that as well. Stick around. This is Double Tap. Send us your feedback to feedback at ami.ca. Leave us a voicemail at one 803 4567 You're listening to Double Tap. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. Yeah, Stephen Scott today along with Aaron Hewitt. No Sean Priest today, I'm afraid. He is uh, taking what might be classed as a well-earned rest, but as we all know, that's just garbage. Uh, he is it's probably just laziness. Eating. It is laziness, exactly. But Aaron is here. He should be on thankfully. every day. Yeah, you, are, you gonna be, are, you, are you coming back all the time? Are you just going to come back now? Yeah, you know, I will. But I, I was saying Sean needs to be on every day, including Sundays. Oh, yeah. Well, I think he should do Sunday as punishment for not being here today. I think that makes perfect sense. You know, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. You should should call him about that afterwards. I will. I will get in touch with him immediately. Uh, Listen, we're talking with Aaron Hewitt today. He is uh, someone who just frankly, as far as I'm concerned, is just a brain that I just would love to be able to download into my brain uh, because the knowledge you have That's is just incredible. That's a very dangerous thing to do, Stephen. Oh, well, uh, maybe maybe we should just take parts of your brain. I don't, maybe not all of it, yeah. Maybe select folders, you might, perhaps. You might get arrested if you do that. <laughs> I think it's illegal, isn't it, so far, anyway. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Apple Watch because you were on Twitter and you were talking about the fact, and I, I love how you do this, Adam. This is what, what I love about you. You just start talking about something. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I just paired that with my Android phone and it's cool and I'm using it. And everyone's like, oh, 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 what? Because <laughs> how does that work? Right? I mean, we, I mean, I guess, I mean, we know that Wear OS watches work with Apple, but of course there are limitations when you do that. We didn't think, I certainly didn't think that you could pair an Apple watch with an Android phone. You have. Tell us about well, it. Well, you can't. And I haven't necessarily done that. Okay. So what have you done? What, what have I you did? done? What have I done indeed? The Apple faithful, leave now. <laughs> Just leave. <laughs> Just turn off your ears. I'm about to, I'm about to um, completely destroy the, the walled garden idea. Um, so what I did was I had an iPhone previously. You know, as, as you know, I had, I had an iPhone. Mm-hmm. And I switched to Android and I was like, well, there's no watch experience that can compare to the Apple Watch. Uh, and so I got I got curious. I thought, well, iPhones now have this family setup feature on the Apple Watch where you can set it up for a child to be able to call and text and all that other kind of thing without having uh, an iPhone. So I contemplated doing that. And then I thought, well, I'm going to have to buy another watch to do that because the watch I had wasn't a, a cellular enabled one. Um, I, had a, I had a regular Series 5. So what I ended up doing was I ended up pairing the watch to the iPhone. Then I ended up using the, um, then I ended up just carrying the iPhone, but I set up call forwarding between my Android phone and my iPhone so that when one call was received on the Android phone, the iPhone would ring, in turn Uh. ringing the watch. And I did the same with texts and notifications. 
Um, the notifications were a little bit tricky because I, sometimes I wanted the ability to reply on the watch. So I installed apps like Nanogram for my Telegram and I set those up to deliver notifications to the watch. So then I would get a notification on my phone and then I could it would forward to the iPhone using a, a third party app. And then I could, you know, I could go ahead and read that notification on the watch. And it worked surprisingly well. And obviously I had all the fitness tracking abilities because I was still carrying an iPhone. It just wasn't being used for anything other than as a relay. So, right, hang on, hang on. Okay, let, let me just, let me get this into my brain. Because like I say, my brain is not like your brain. Um, it's 20 years older for a start. Um, okay, so how does the text thing work? <laughs> I get the calls, that makes sense. But how are you do? how are you messaging? Is it just that you're using the same number across different, I'm confused by that. I'm literally just using the same number between the two devices, yeah. Because in some cases you can do that. You can have one device with an actual SIM card and then one with an eSIM on the same number. Ah. This is exactly what I've done in this case. But then my iPhone does also have an additional SIM card with an additional number because some people will only contact people through iMessage and I don't understand it. But I needed a way to do that too. So I also, as well as having these, uh, this handover, I also do have access to iMessage and FaceTime the way I normally would. So it's not a case of you've just found an app that you can install on Android that lets you connect the Apple Watch to no. the Android, right? They, they, no, they are still entirely fantastic. separate. Someone get on that. No, they are still entirely separate, but it, it's, you know, it, it does bring them closer together. And that was the aim. The aim was not to, um, my aim was not to say, I can pair an Apple Watch with an Android phone. My aim was to say, I can pair an Apple Watch with an Android phone. I can't actually pair it, but I can totally use them in tandem and they work perfectly fine. But if you were going out for the day, would you need to still take the iPhone with you? Unfortunately, yes. But like I say, you could totally get around that by using a cellular watch. That's true, yeah. But I didn't have one and I wasn't buying one because this was an experiment and I had no idea how successful or unsuccessful it would be. So actually, if we're kind of simplifying this a little bit, from for my benefit and, and maybe for some of our audience who are you know bamboozled by a lot of this stuff what you're really doing there is you're kind of setting up a watch for a child and if you had the cellular option you'd be able to use that watch entirely independently and you have an android phone to pair in inverted commas with it but really it's just that they sit side by side and that's that's really as far as it goes in terms of pairing unfortunately yes there's no other way to do it but i have found it works surprisingly well are there any applications, though, that, that do kind of cross between? So I'm thinking like Google applications that might work on the watch that can also work on the Android that would allow for some kind of communication between the two? Um, I mean, I think you can install, for example, I have one password on my Android phone and I can also get one password on my watch and I can put, you know, I can make a note on my iPhone and then, or any device, sorry, and then use the iPhone to transfer the note to the watch and then update the note elsewhere and it will sync between the devices so i can totally do things that way if i need to so you have some level of integration and of course i can you know load up twitter on the watch and that works just fine too with a third party yeah. app and i can access reddit and telegram and and all those kinds of features that you know to, to access those i'd need to buy an android smartwatch for or use my phone but so, so i guess that the link is tenuous isn't it? It's a tenuous link yeah, because it really break. it's it's application linked rather than device linked. Yeah. If any of the services that I've set up, so I'm using an app called IFTTT to send notifications. So when my Android device receives a notification, it gets sent to the app, which then uses um, uses a, a an applet to send that notification to the iPhone, which then sends it to the Apple Watch. If that was to stop working or they have to change the way that that works, I would lose that functionality. And I haven't found any alternative way of getting that back. That's incredible. I mean, of course, this is if this, then that, which you're talking about, right? Which allows yeah. things to happen. You know, if one thing happens over here, this can happen. It's I had a similar smart thing. Homes. Well, yeah, because I used it for, I've got a, a smart plug and I wanted to be able to control it with my Elgato Stream Deck here. And in order to do that, I had to create this IFTT thing you know, the applet and, and do all that. A complete pain in the neck, but it, it did work in the end. Um, and it's great because I could then just, I mean, people just say, why do you just reach down and switch the plug off? Which in the end I ended up doing because it was actually easier. Oh. But, you know, 
because who wants to who wants to be bothered by all that? But who you wants know, to actually do that? Who wants to actually press a you'll button? Break, you'll break your back, Stephen. Well, that's what I was thinking as well. Um, but no, it really is interesting that you you've investigated this because look, let's be honest about it. I've said it on the show before. The current crop. I said it. Well, you've said it as well, but the, sure. the current crop of Android watches are not up to standard, I don't think, that blind people can use them effectively. I think the Galaxy Watch 5 might be, might be an exception. I've heard some fantastic reports of it. I don't have one, so I can't attest to it. But I've heard that it's remarkably good now. Um, you know, I've heard that it can be used... Now, whether it's a fantastic experience, I don't know. I haven't tried one. And from what I heard from the Galaxy Watch 4, that wasn't the case. And it was a sluggish experience that needed a lot of third-party That was my experience. Yeah, I mean, I've got the Watch 4. And it is, frankly, an awful experience. It's not... I mean, it's not an enjoyable experience. There's nothing about it. I don't feel I can use any of the features without getting frustrated because I'm waiting for something to happen. Uh, and I, I just, I mean, to be honest, the Watch 5 would have to be incredibly redesigned in order to to be better than that. And by all accounts from the, from the hardware I've heard about. it doesn't seem to be. No, it doesn't seem to be, no. So I don't know where that leads But us. I wonder if they've perhaps done something in software. I don't actually know because I don't have a Watch 5. I don't have a Watch 5 Pro. And yeah. I don't know if I intend to buy one. Well, there's another I mean, problem. It all depends on what Google does. But the, this is the problem, right? We, we're not going to buy it if we don't think it's going to work for us. Why would you spend your hard-earned money on a device that you don't know? If, I mean, if you buy an Apple Watch, I mean, I've, I put the money out in the Apple Watch Ultra, and I know that whatever my experience is of that device, whether I like the style of it or not, I know it'll work. I know it'll work for me, and I know it'll work well. So I don't have to worry about that. And that's the difference, right? But you, you're right to bring up Google because. Google have got the Pixel Watch coming out next month. We'll be interested to see what that brings. What are you hoping for there? I'm I'm honestly I'm just hoping for something that causes the other watch manufacturers to say, "Hold on, we need to really reevaluate this." Um first generation Google products never seem to live up to the hype that they say they do. You know, the first generation Pixel didn't live up to the hype that everyone was expecting the first generation pixel book the chromebook pixels it was called then didn't live up to the hype that everyone was kind of angling for the first nexus tablet was almost the last nexus tablet because it wasn't received very well first generation google products never seem to be received all that well but they do seem to inspire change for other manufacturers now google could come out absolutely swinging on it and and you know hit the nail on the head and everything be fantastic but I don't think that they will, but I do think that they will inspire change for other manufacturers and other manufacturers will start taking notice of this space. We can only hope, right? I mean, that would be the the best solution. Because look, let's be honest, that's exactly why these companies like Google, like Microsoft, unlike Apple, develop these products. Because Apple creates products, that's the only place you can get an Apple product, right? But when a PC market in Google's world with Chromebooks and, and, and Android phones... That's why they get into these, you know. Well, Google and Microsoft and and those companies, and I could talk about Surface for ages, um, because you know I have I have a lot of experience with Surface devices and all that kind of thing. But that's a completely unrelated and uh, topic. But they get into these into these markets because they're making what are called reference designs, and other manufacturers do it. Intel have reference design laptops, Um, you know. AMD have reference design laptops. All the, you know, the graphics card manufacturers have reference designs. And the reason that they do it is because they're showing the people who are going to use their components, here is what you can do. Here's how far you can push things. And they're often very expensive. And they're often not aimed at consumers. But consumers can buy them if they feel that they want to, for whatever reason. But that's not their aim. Their aim is to say, this is what is possible mm-hmm. with our technology. And I'm hoping that is what Google does with the Pixel Watch. Will I buy it? Maybe. If it is, you know, if they make a, a you know, convincing enough argument that it's going to be marketably better than what is out there at the moment with the Galaxy Watch 5. And if not, then maybe I will investigate the Watch 5. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see what, what comes out. I mean, I, I have to say, 
I've been playing with the Google Pixel 6a and I wanted your take on this. I am really impressed by the Google Pixel 6a. I think it's a gorgeous phone. And comparing that experience, and it's only been a few days, but my experience compared to the Samsung devices, I've got to say I much prefer what Google are doing. I I would tend to agree with you. I have a Google Pixel 6a. That is the Android phone that I use every day. And for the most part, it's fantastic. Now, I don't have a recent Samsung device on hand to compare it to, um, but that is changing. I, I'm looking at getting a, an S22 Ultra to compare it to. Um, but I think, you know, I do think that what Google are doing is is fantastic. And I think what Samsung are doing is is equally good. And I think if they could work together properly, not this whole, oh, well, we'll bundle a separate version of TalkBack in our store and update it when we feel like it. But if they actually work together, um, you know, when Samsung were developing Voice Assistant, which was the predecessor to TalkBack that Samsung had, uh, or when, you know, Samsung had the multi-finger gestures before Google even considered them. You know, Android 5, Samsung had multi-finger gestures in their screen reader and Google hadn't considered it until, sorry, it was Android 6 that Samsung had that. Ignore that. Um, Android 6, sorry, I was confusing my versions. But, you know, Samsung had that in Android 6. Google didn't catch on to that until Android 12. It took them six extra versions to to understand how to implement a feature like that and to actually get it right. Um, and then even then, it, it had its issues in its infancy. Yeah, I mean, I often wonder, because I know Samsung obviously worked with Google on TalkBack because Samsung, as you say, had their own version of TalkBack. I mean, it was taken from what TalkBack was. They had worked on it and, and built up another different version of it, which you've said on the show, interestingly, is actually a different version to TalkBack that you would get on a Google Pixel, right? Because you don't get It's six months vanilla. out of date. Yeah. It's weird. Google don't update the Google don't open source the changes to Talkback until about six months. It's a six month cadence. So when Google releases a Talkback update, the changes won't be pushed to the open source community for about six months or so. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I just thought it all went out at the same time. No, it doesn't. Um, and then obviously Samsung also seemed to like to tie it into software updates, into OS updates, because the changes to Talkback thirteen are coming in. Android 13, but it's not like on the Google devices where it's just an update in the in the store for some strange reason. They are limiting those features to that update. Yeah. So my question to you is, with Samsung getting involved in the world of TalkBack and, you know, working with Google on this, do you think that's helped or hindered TalkBack? I, I don't think it's made any difference to TalkBack. I think Google will do what Google are wanting to do and... Samsung can either embrace that, as they still haven't, or they can develop their own solution as they were doing and dropped it. Because I have to say, Samsung were, at one point, far ahead of Google. They had multi-finger gestures, they had proper granularity control where you could move by a, a granule amount and then also move by element, which TalkBack didn't have at the time. When you would change your granularity, it would change what your default uh, swipe left and right did, and Google finally fixed that, but it took a while for them to. Samsung had uh, actions on the, the magic tap, so as Apple call it and everyone else calls it for some reason. You know, you had the two-finger double tap to play pause media, and you had the answer and end call, and you had reliable audio ducking, which TalkBack still doesn't have. Um, and then they, they dropped it in favour of, so of an older version of TalkBack. So you're saying that, that Google are the ones that are behind here? Because I always got the impression it was Samsung that kind of dragged TalkBack back a little bit. But you're saying it's the opposite way around. Well, it, it is now. It is the, the way around you say now, because Samsung have abandoned their other project. But when they had Voice Assistant, it had so many cool features. It had the quick menu, which allowed you to change attributes of the speech on the fly. It had the granularity control that allowed you to properly uh, navigate. It, it had, you know, it had the, the multi-finger gestures, the reassignable multi-finger gestures. It was more responsive than TalkBack. It had support for reading out the labels of the capacitive keys on older Samsung devices that TalkBack, as soon as you tap them, would just activate them. It had so much potential, and then they dropped it. That's interesting. Very interesting. I mean, do I been... think it would have? Do I think it would have caught up to where Talkback is now? Maybe not. But it was, it was an idea. It was a project. It was a something that Samsung could say, "This is ours. This is what we're doing, and this is how we're going to." 
combat the accessibility challenges going forward. And they could have done great things with it, and instead they abandoned it. I want to get your take on Envision Glasses before we go, because, you know, you've got them, and, and a lot of people have been commenting on them. We've had a number of comments here on the show about Envision Glasses. Was What's your take on them? Because you're, you're a pro user, right? So what, what do you think about using these devices, a device like this? Let me preface this by saying Ira changed everything about the Envision Glasses and the way that I use them. Mm. Now, I still like the standalone features. I still like the instant text. I still like the... Do you know how useful the explore feature is when the dog refuses to come inside and you have to go and find the dog? <laughs> you actually still, <laughs> still looking for the dog. Yeah. Well, you, you still know it's outside because they haven't come in and you would have known about that. Um, but, well, like, you know, you don't know what... Well, you would hope. But you don't know where the dog is outside and you're trying to find the dog because, you know... You need to get the dog inside because you have a meeting coming up in five minutes, you know, <laughs> which is exactly what happened before I came on this show. And I had to, you know, you have to go and find the dog. <laughs> you have to go and do something like that. And in that case, it's just faster to just use the glasses in built features. But in the case where it's something that requires someone to, to understand your question and to understand what you're asking of them so like okay i want you to read the bottom two lines of this document the glasses aren't going to do that for you you have to use the text scanning feature scan the text and then you know scroll through the reader view to the bottom of the document and then scroll back the last two lines that's not really convenient and it's sometimes faster to have someone tell you okay move the document to the right move it up move it move it further back okay here are the last two lines that's faster than than doing something like that but it's also in some cases not, because you have to wait for that human person. So I really think that all of the features have their place um, on, on the Envision glasses, and I find them a very useful tool. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have them yet. I'm hoping Envision will send me a pair to play with. Uh, my wife has them. Buy should... them, Stephen Scott. Buy I'm them. not buy they them. feature them kidding? on the What Did Stephen Buy This Week segment. I, I have no money left. I have no cash because I keep spending it on MacBooks. Um, but no, it's, it's just... <laughs> Please, Apple, stop bringing out computers. I can't take any more. Um, but I'll it next month. Yeah, well, I know, I know, Very I know. Possibly. And, and I have to say, I do have my M2 Pro on a, Plus and an M2, possibly Mac Studio. But I'll just leave it there because you know Ooh. my little my little Mac Mini with my M1, my base level one, I've raved about for so long. It is starting to feel the pressure of some of the work I'm doing. I mean, no, especially when it comes not. to video. No, it is. You're just making this up. You're no. making it up. The Honestly, M1 is perfectly I was, I was fine. on Final Cut last night. I was cutting a clip. It was literally a minute-long video clip I was cutting, and it could nah. not play it back to me. Couldn't play it back. Nah. No, I don't believe it, Stephen. I think you've you've sabotaged that computer so you can get a new one. You've filled it with dust. You've poured dust into the fans so that you can get that a new me. one. Or may not That's be true. Um, but listen, the, the point here is about Envision Glasses, it's really interesting that you say about Ira because I think that's where a lot of people are. Yes, the individual features are brilliant, but it's Ira that really has made the difference because it kind of gives you that ability to get the whole picture from the device, you know, and like you say, find the dog or read the whole document. But then if you want to read the last two lines, getting Ira to just do that for you, getting that human on board, it changes everything. Um, but then that, that does become inconvenient sometimes because, you know, IRA, IRA agents are people. They take their lunch breaks. They take their time. Mm. You know, they have to have time off. And so you're not guaranteed an instantaneous response. And so if you need to do something now and it doesn't have to be entirely accurate, like, you know, I'm looking for the free, I'm looking through the cupboards for that jar of spices that I need to put in the curry that's already in the pan. I don't want to stand around and, and wait. I just want to get this done. And it doesn't need to be entirely accurate because I kind of at least... Uh, they somewhat know what letters are going to be or what words are going to be on that jar. Yeah. And do you, how many hours of the day do you see you use those glasses? Do you use them all the time or? I or? almost keep them on all the time. Really? Um, recently, I haven't been keeping them on as much because I've had some, some eye pain and I don't have the ones with lenses in. Um, and so I've, I've been quite light sensitive as of late. And so I haven't been able to use them because I don't have the ones with lenses, uh, which is inconvenient. But I still carry them, and I still will switch to them as and when I need them. But before that, I would almost wear them constantly. Because it was just so convenient to be able to do things when they needed done and not have to faff about getting my phone out or, you know, 
then opening opening the glasses case and getting them out and putting them on and turning them on. I'll just keep them on. And you find that there's no issues with lag. I find my wife's with this case. I hear hers talking away, and it seems really clear. It seems responsive. It seems fast. No, I've never had an issue with with lag. Um, I think the, the delays that you find are when you're using the the text features and you have a bad internet connection, and it takes some time to get the results back. Mm. Um, especially noticeable if you're, for example, walking and uh, using the glasses with a phone hotspot or something along those lines, and you walk through a bad area and you're trying to read something that you know on a street sign or something along those lines, which I have done with the glasses just for an experiment. I have tried to read street signs as I was going past, and it did work surprisingly well. Aaron, listen, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I, I think I want you to become our Ask Aaron guy, uh, where it's, if we have questions from our audience that we don't know the answer to, we're going to get you on to answer them. How do you feel about that? What do they call it? What do they call it on Reddit? AMA? Ask me anything? Yeah, ask me it. anything. Yeah, ask. Well, it. it's actually AAA. Ask Aaron anything. A-A-A. There you go. Do you know what? I'll take it. There you go. He's our AAA. And solve all our problems. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Aaron Hewitt Thank joining us me. on Double Tap today. Uh, Sean and I back tomorrow. Lots of conversation continues. Of course, you are welcome to take part in that conversation. As always, please do keep in touch with us. You can email us feedback at ami.ca. You can call us on one 803 4567 Keep in touch with us here on the show. Your feedback is really valuable to us. Like I said, that email address again, feedback at ami.ca. You can also find us uh, on social media. You can follow us there. You can send us messages via Twitter and Facebook and others. Just search for at Double Tap on air. And don't forget our YouTube channel as well, where you can catch up with all of our Double Tap TV content. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-TV every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at AMI.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.